power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, let's use this time now as we do each Lord's Day by joining together as God's people and turning in our copies of his word to our passage for this morning, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. We turn there this morning instead of the book of Acts because we are coming uh, before the sacrament of the Lord's Supper uh, together here in just a little bit. And so we're going to take a, just a, a one week, a little brief break from the book of Acts so we can come and look at this passage, which is uh, commonly known and referred to as the words of institution. If you've ever been to a church that serves communion, there's a good chance that the pastor, uh, before serving this meal, before administering the sacrament, read these words to you. These are words of instruction of how we're to come before the table. So there's probably familiar words to us. We've, we've turned to this passage before. We've, we've heard this passage. We've read this passage. And so therefore, it's probably very familiar to us. And therein lies the temptation, as we've warned about before, that because it is familiar, the temptation is there that these words just slip by us, because we've heard them before. And maybe we think we, we, we've heard it so much, what more else can we learn from them? So I encourage each of us this morning that through the prayerful help and guidance of the Spirit, that we will hear this portion of God's Word with fresh ears, with open minds, and with receptive hearts, so that, as in the parable of the soil, our hearts and minds are not hardened ground, where this seed of the good Word falls upon it, but because we've deemed it too familiar, that Satan is able to come along and take it away from us. May we have open hearts and, 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 and open minds, receptive hearts, and fresh ears so it will be good soil for the sower of Jesus Christ to lay the seed there for it to take plant, for it to take root, and to bear good fruit in our faith and in our lives. So let's pray now as we come before God's word in this way, in this manner. Lord, indeed, we pray that you would give, that you would, through your spirit, encourage us, convict us, guide us to listen now to your word, that we will be the good soil through which the gospel is spread upon. As we hear these familiar words of institution from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that we will hear your truth. And maybe it's a new truth to us, maybe it's an old truth to us, but it's still your truth. May we hear your truth this morning. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in, beginning in verse 17. And let's stand together now for the reading of God's word. But in the following instructions, I, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, what, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? 
what shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why some of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves, truly we would not be judged. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. I have a, a pastor friend. He's a fellow ARP pastor. And we are good friends and we're on text thread together. We talk a good bit. And this pastor friend of mine is fond of often pointing out that we live in a very unserious age. On our text thread, we'll see each other stories that we find in the news. And, and Ben is, is very quick to, to point out that we live in a very unserious age. And he's right, because we do. We do live in a very unserious age. It just takes a casual look around at our culture to confirm that, doesn't it? Just look around the world around us and you realize we, we live in a very unserious age. Uh, just look at Washington, D.C., and what goes on up there, and we're reminded we live in a very unserious age. But it also just takes a casual look at the state of many churches and denominations in the Western world to see the same there. So many churches that, that claim to profess Jesus Christ, so many denominations that claim to profess Jesus Christ, are so very unserious. Because we look at the world, at the culture, and the many churches and denominations, we find there is no great regard for God. There's no great concern for the things of God. There's no seriousness about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Christianity, if it is observed at all, is done so in a very flippant manner. We live in a day, age, and even a church culture that is very unserious. And being very unserious, it is very dangerous. As we'll talk here in a few moments. And it's easy for us to sit here on this beautiful fall morning, the first Sunday of October, first day of October, to sit here in our pews at Bethel ARP in Winsboro, South Carolina, and to point our fingers at all the guilty parties in the world in the church. And we point out and go, tisk, 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 shame on you. Look at the error of the ways. Look at their foolish actions. Look at all those people. In all those situations and contests, and look how unserious they are, shame on them. It's easy to do that. What's hard is to take that finger and point it back to ourselves and to ask that about ourselves. But it's worth it. It's worth it individually, it's worth it collectively as a congregation to ask ourselves are we serious? Are we serious about Christ? Are we serious about the things of Christ? If we want to put on a scale of 1 to 10, 
How serious are you about the Christian faith? What priority is Jesus in your life? His will in your life? What priority is His redemption of your life? Are you, am I, are we a serious people when it comes to the Christian faith? Or do we know where the line is? And we've gotten too comfortable with towing that line. Of towing the line of being an unserious people. How serious are you about Christ? How serious are you about the things of Christ? Both the teaching and the living. The orthodoxy that leads to the orthopraxy. How serious are we about the Christian faith? Because we live in a very unserious age. As we read in our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul's teaching about seriousness, the seriousness of the Christian faith that is seen in how we come to this table and how we take the sacraments. And we see that he uses words such as examining and discerning. And those can be serious words and how they're used, and Paul uses them in a serious manner. Because what Paul is doing here pastorally is he's getting on the Corinthian church. A church he helped plant. Has now moved on to other church plants. And he's getting on them in this letter because they have become unserious about their faith. They've become unserious about about how they live out their faith. And he's seeing that in the way that they are taking the the Lord's Supper. And he's saying that there are times, well, think of it this way, if we were there, and we went to the first ARP church of Corinth, there would be Sundays we would go there to take the Lord's Supper. And at some point in the service, there would be people who were passing out drunk in the pews, while others were coming and taking the bread and, and, and hoarding it for themselves and gorging themselves on the bread. Now imagine that. You go to church on a Sunday morning, and at some point in their service, people are passing out drunk. And they're stuffing their mouths full of bread. It, it, it would look more like a, a, a drunken buffet, a golden corral, than an act of worship before the living God. Why? Because they have become unserious about their faith. And so Paul says in essence to him, folks, stop. It is time for you to start taking this seriously. Because when you don't, then you are eating and drinking the judgment of God upon yourself. Stop being unserious. Because the end result will be the judgment of God. I think it's very telling about our current state of culture in the world and the church that when we talk or when we hear about the judgment of God, there are so many who just shrug it off. Now, we expect that from the world. We don't expect that in the church. But isn't that what we get so often in the church? Talk about the judgment of God and they yawn. Talk about the judgment of God 
and they just flip through their Bibles. Talk about the judgment of God and their eyes just glaze over and you realize they're already thinking about what they're going to be having for lunch. That's a so what attitude. But that's not how Paul treats it here. He says to them, you have been unserious about your faith, seen in how you've treated the table. This is going to bring to you the judgment of God. This is meant to scare them into acting right. Because the last thing they want is to face the judgment of God for unserious faith. Many, many of us probably had a, a father or a father figure in our life who only had to threaten discipline to get our attention. Maybe they would say, don't make me get up and come over there. Right? That's your fair warning. Or they would say, don't make me take off this belt and use it. So if you push them past that point, that's on you. That's your fault. You've been warned. And that's what is, is in essence what Paul's saying here. Get serious or else. But the else here isn't addressing down or some form of punishment. The else is the judgment of God. The else here is, is hell. Get serious or go to hell. Get serious or you will face the eternal penalty and, and the suffering of hell. Be serious about your faith or you'll go to hell. And it may be that there are some of us here this morning who need to listen to this biblical warning. Maybe we've been playing games long enough. Maybe we've gone from towing the line being unserious to now there's more than one toe across the line. It may be time that you hear what Paul says to the Corinthian church. Get serious about your faith or else. Be serious about the one who's so serious about you that in the great love of you, he sent his only begotten son on your behalf so the son can suffer hell for you. It may be that some of us here this morning need to hear that. Get serious. Or you'll go to hell. With that in mind, then how, how, how do we come before this table and this meal and do so in, in a serious fashion? I want to point us to Westminster Larger Catechism 174. It's a little bit lengthy, but try your best to, to keep up with me in this. It is required of them that receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that during the time of the administration of it, with all holy reverence and attention, they wait upon God in that ordinance, diligently observing the sacramental elements and actions, heedfully discerning the Lord's body, and affectionately meditate on his death and sufferings, and thereby stir up to themselves a, a vigorous exercise of their graces, and judging themselves, sorrowing for sin, and earnest hungering and thirsting after Christ, feeding on him by faith, receiving of his fullness, trusting his merits, rejoicing his love, giving thanks for his grace and renewing their covenant with God and love to all the saints. Now, everybody got all that, right? You're good to go. We can move on. There's a lot there, right? It's, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. 
I want to point out some highlights from this morning to, to help us to be serious about our faith and seeing, seeing how we come before his table. So we're serious about our faith before his table when we first wait on God. If we're to obtain any spiritual benefit from the spirit from the sacrament, it will be the Lord's doing, only his doing. We can't do it. We can't make this happen. But God provides it. And he is faithful to provide it. So we come here not demanding of him, but to wait on him. For it is only by the blessing of Christ and the working of his spirit in them that by faith receive them. So, so we, have to, we are called to wait upon the Lord. We, we have a serious faith at this table when we assume a posture of faith in the Lord that he will nourish us in his sacraments. Not because we demand it, because by his grace, he'll provide it. So we are serious faith when we first wait upon the Lord. It is a serious faith when we are sorrowful for our sin. As we told the children earlier, when we, when we take this cloth off, we will see uh, the plates full of shortbread and cups full of juice. And we know that it's more than that, spiritually speaking. Because it points us to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because on his cross, that the very body of the very Son of God was broken for our sins. Crown thrust upon his head, nails piercing his hands and his feet, the spear going through his side, his body broken for you. And all that blood spilt for you. The very life Blood and suffering of our Lord and Savior, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is, is visibly, uh, visually here at this table. And so this table demands that we look to see what our sins cost the very second person in the Trinity. And when we look at the elements that way, that should bring us sorrow. It should bring us sorrow that those sins that we seek to find our joy in and our satisfaction from should actually bring us sorrow in the light of the cross. Those things that we call entertainment, that we call fun, that we call letting our hair down, that we call being ourselves are the very things that put Jesus upon the cross. And here we are as his people, claiming faith in the one upon the cross, yet we are hell-bent on running after those sins. This table should bring us to sorrow for those very sins. And by a serious faith, we come to this table seriously when we feed on him by faith. The means by which we feed on Jesus and faith are the elements of the bread and the wine. But when we receive and consume these elements by faith, then we are symbolically appropriating the benefits of Christ and trusting his merit. When we feast upon these by faith, then the Lord uses this to spiritually grow us. It is a spiritual feast. That we feed upon the very one who is the bread of life. We feed on him by faith. And a serious faith will rejoice in his love and give thanks for his grace. First Chronicles were told by Hezekiah reinstituting the Passover in Israel. And the people kept the feast with great gladness and thanksgiving. That same posture of gladness and thanksgiving should be the posture and goal of the supper. Because how can we not be thankful 
when we remember that this was all done for you and me? How can we not be glad to know it was our sins that were put upon Jesus and he took the wrath of the Father for us? Here is the visual picture of your salvation. Here is the visual of the price paid to save you and me from hell. And that should lead to great gladness and thanksgiving. And finally, a serious faith will renew our covenant with God at this table. In Exodus 24, 8, when Moses threw the blood unto the people, he said, Behold the blood of the covenants. He is instructing the people to behold the blood that's being sprinkled on them, for it is in that blood, it's in the blood that is the covenant, the sign of the covenant, and all the sanctions and stipulations and promises are shown forth. So he sprinkles the blood here, here, behold the covenants. This morning we'll take a cup, and in it is the juice that symbolizes the, that symbolizes the blood of the new covenant. That Christ's death is displayed visibly. And we're reminded of the covenant relationship we enjoy with God in Christ. Specifically that we are in covenant of grace with God. And he has promised salvation to all who renew Christ by faith. Or who embrace, embrace Christ by faith alone. So in this, we renew our covenant with God by renewing our, our commitment to receive and rest upon Christ alone. For this one is willing to suffer such a death for me then he is one that is well worth following. If the shepherd would do this for just one of his sheep, then he is a shepherd worth following. That is the serious faith at this table. So we wait upon the Lord. We have sorrow for our sins. We feed on him in faith. We rejoice in his love and give thanks for his grace. And we renew our covenant with him. That is what a serious faith looks like at this table. I encourage you to come to this table this morning not as a Corinthian who is doing so for purely selfish, sinful motives. I encourage you to come as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. None of us are perfect. This table doesn't call for perfection because this table is the perfection of Jesus Christ. And we are hid underneath that protection, or we are hid underneath that his perfection. But in that hiding, in that union, is a serious faith. May we have that serious faith as we come before the table together this morning. Let's pray together.